Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Good morning. Great to be coming to you from the South Campus this Sunday morning. So very excited. Yeah, a lot of fun. And if you are a veteran, super thankful. Uh, thanks to you for your service and uh, the sacrifices that you and your family have made for all the freedoms that we enjoy today. So very thankful uh, for all of you. Uh, okay, I want to talk quickly about uh, this holiday. Well, it wasn't really a holiday that uh, began, but it was kind of a thing that started back in the early 90s called Take Your Child to Work. Do you remember this? It actually started to take your daughter to work. Then it started, then it went to take your child to work. I don't know if anybody does that anymore. Anybody do that anymore? I, I think it's kind of died out because we've taken the work home. And so you don't, we've taken the work to the child at home. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, I do think that sometimes the children do enjoy going to work uh, with their parents. I, I've tried this before. I have a picture of taking Dax to work. This was Dax when he was three. Uh, son of my heart has the constitution of Christ Chapel uh, that he's holding there. Uh, love it. Uh, but I tried taking him to work. And uh, let me just say, um, the day did not go as I expected. Um, I think you could probably imagine uh, that. Uh, my day wasn't nearly as productive um, it didn't go the way that I had planned or had scheduled. We started doing some things that he wanted to do rather than what I wanted to do. I don't know why I thought he would just sit quietly through meetings. Uh, that, that's what I kind of expected, but obviously that didn't happen. And uh, to say that my day was disrupted would be an understatement. And I wonder when we think about taking our kids to work, if that's one of the reasons why we don't take God to work. If we're afraid that if we take God to work, he's going to disrupt our day, that we're not going to be able to do everything that we want to do. Maybe uh, people will talk to us differently. Maybe uh, we won't get to behave the way that we uh, normally behave. Maybe we think we won't be as productive as we usually are. But here's my question. Do you get a choice? Do you get to choose whether you take God to work or not? See, you get, a, you get a choice if you take your child to work. But do you get a choice if you take God to work? Because if we truly say that we're followers of Jesus, that we're following him every day, every aspect of our life, then it's not a matter of taking God to work. It's how you treat God at work because he's there. He's already with you. And that's what we're going to talk about today is when God enters the workplace. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. We're going to be in verse, uh, start in verse uh, 21 uh, is kind of the section where we'll begin. We're going to cover the last part of Acts chapter 19, which has been an action-packed chapter, which we'll talk about in just a second. But let me remind you, we are in Ephesus. I'll show you a map of, of Ephesus and where that, that was. And the reason why we show you maps is because I want you to know that the Bible is true. The Bible is real. These are real places. And, and Ephesus, you could go there today. And some of the pictures, I'm, uh, one of the pictures I'm going to show you, you could see that today. 
You could go there. These things really happen. The Bible is true and accurate and it can be trusted. So that's why we show you maps and things. So we're in Ephesus today. We started Acts chapter 19 last week, which again was action packed. We, we saw this ruckus where the, the sons of Sceva, you know, they, they get beat up basically. And Ben did a great job to, of describing uh, how that fight went. Uh, so we had the, the ruckus there that was started up. Then we have a revival where the magicians begin to throw all of their magic books into the fire. Do you remember this? Is this sounding familiar to you? Okay, this is really important because there's actually a phrase in antiquity that's, that calls the Ephesus writings magical writings. Uh, Ephesus was a place of the occult. It was a place where uh, they worshiped other deities, where they, were, they believed in magical spells and things like that. And this is where God interacts. And so we saw a revival, though, where those that had trusted in the cult or the magic arts began to burn those books. It was this, this purity uh, revival. But then today we're going to see a riot because the city doesn't like that. And what I want to do is, is pick up in Acts chapter 19. If you're opening one of those blue Bibles, it's page 928, 928. And what I want to do is kind of just set the context for you in uh, verses 23 to 27. So we, we won't read the whole section we're going to go through today, but this will give you an idea of what is going on in Acts chapter 19. It says, about that time there arose no little disturbance, which means a great disturbance, concerning the way. Now remember, the way is what Christ followers were called at the time. They didn't, they didn't call them, uh, you know, uh, Christians. So we remember that in Antioch. That was the first time that was ever said about anybody, little Christ, because they were looking like him. But these were just followers of the way. It was a movement that was beginning as people began to bow their lives to Jesus, and it affected the way that they lived. Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, which again means great business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that this business, we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only the, in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. We're going to stop right there for reading this text. May uh, God bless the reading of his word. May our hearts be open to hear from him. So you get the picture. There are people of the way who have began to live a different way in Ephesus. They're not following all of the, the ways that the Ephesians used to live. And that's why I mentioned those magical books that were thrown away. There, there's a huge pendulum swing back towards purity, back towards Jesus, or towards Jesus, toward following him as the way. And it causes a disruption in the Ephesians. Ephesus economy, in the Ephesian economy. 
They're saying, hey, this is hitting us in the pocketbook. We don't like this. And Demetrius is leading that charge. You see, God is entering the workplace and it's a great place to reveal the unknown God. You know, that's what That's the whole point of this series that we've been talking about is how can we make God known in places where he's not necessarily known? And the business place is a great place to be able to make him known because honestly, the the business men and women who really live out and exemplify Christ shine so incredibly bright in the workplace. It's one thing we expect for God to be known in the church. That, that's, I, I, well, I hope we expect that. Um, that. That should be an expectation. But when a light shines in a place where light is not usually seen, it shines very brightly. And the workplace is a great place to reveal the unknown God. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage and we'll look at what happened after this riot in Ephesus began. And I want to show you what it could look like when you take God to work, when God enters the workplace, why he enters the workplace when you follow him as the way, also how to follow him on a regular basis and what effect that can have. So let's go ahead and begin. Uh, You definitely need your sermon notes. Some of the things that are going to come up would love for you to see for yourself on the sermon notes uh, that you have. And these will be application. And, and by the way, if, if one of you say, well, I, I work from home, I don't, I don't go into the workplace, these things still apply. These things can even apply to the PTA or the HOA. Th- these things, trust me, just you think about those applications and it, it'll become apparent for you. So first, following Christ as the way disrupts the way of the world. Following Christ as the way disrupts the way of the world. Okay, if you remember, uh, we mentioned the Temple of Artemis. And the Temple of Artemis, again, was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And I got a picture of it just, obviously, we don't know if this looked exactly like this, but by descriptions that we have, very, very magnificent. If you went there today on the site where this was, there's like one column lying down. That, uh, that's it. Like there is nothing there. It was absolutely uh, destroyed, which I, I think is metaphorical for the power of God. I just don't think he'll let anything stand against him. But that, that was what was in, Artem, uh, in uh, Ephesus at, at the time. And so the temple of Artemis was something that was a draw. It brought people in. It brought people in from all over the world. I mean, if you're one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, people want to go to Ephesus to see this kind of temple, but a lot of pagan things uh, going on there at that time. And Demetrius was one of those, it sounds like he was one of those uh, people that was organizing the marketplace outside of there that was saying, oh, you know, you visited the temple of Artemis, you need a souvenir, you need this little silver trinket, this, this uh, idol of, of uh, Artemis, or uh, Diana was the, the Roman name for the goddess. And so he would sell these little things. But now, as you can imagine, if less people come to the temple, less people buy idols. You get that, right? 
very simple economics. I don't know much about economics, but I get this, okay? So if they don't have the tourism that's coming in, they don't have the experience there at the temple, people bowing their lives to Artemis, then nobody's gonna buy their little trinkets. We understand this even today of the local economy, how tourism affects it. I don't know how many of you went to a Ranger playoff game. Did anybody go to a Texas Ranger playoff game? Fun times, good times. When the Texas Rangers, at least what what I read, when they were in the World Series, the estimate was that the city of Arlington made between 12 and 14 million dollars off of each game. Just because people are coming into the city to watch these baseball games. Similar, if people are coming into the temple of Artemis, they're gonna spend their their money there. They've, They've got to lodge, they've got to eat, got to get their souvenir, just like if you went to a World Series game, I'm sure you got a souvenir uh, from there. You get your souvenir. Demetrius says, people aren't coming. This person, Paul, has persuaded people away who says that this God, this goddess, Artemis, this fertility goddess, she's nothing. The, the The idols that we make with our hands are no gods at all. And if he begins to persuade and turn people away, that's going to ruin our livelihood. That, that's what he's saying here. Now, ironic, this is just interesting to me. But remember, Paul is called an apostle to the Gentiles. Do you remember this? Okay. There are only two times in the book of Acts that Gentiles go against Paul. And the two times that they, the Gentiles go against Paul is when he ruins their economy. <laughs> that, those are the only two times. Every other time, the Gentiles are like, Awesome. Come on, we would love to be saved. (laughs) Except when it hits them in the pocketbook. Except when it affects their bottom line. And that's what is going on here. And that's why Demetrius is saying, hold on, this has disrupted our world. You see, following God's way leads you toward a different value system. It leads you to, toward a completely different value system. When you come to know Christ, you now begin to think about things in an eternal manner rather than a temporal manner. If you don't know anything about eternity, you don't know anything about who Jesus says you are, then you look for meaning, purpose, significance, uh, success, all of those things in temporal ways. Through, through business, and I, I, I can under, understand that, uh, why people pursue those things, because it gives you a meaning and a purpose. The only thing is, those things will never satisfy you. Those things will never, hey, gaining a living, making a living is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to make a living. But when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, that's when it becomes problematic. And there's a term that we use for that. That's called, called idolatry. When you begin to serve something that is not God in order to find meaning, significance, success, purpose, etc., And that's what was going on in, in Ephesus was idolatry. They were, they were saying, if we serve Artemis, Artemis will give us provision, provide for our families and all of those things. And the way that you can define for yourself, this is just diagnostic. A diagnostic question. The way that you can de- determine if something is an idol in your life is take it away. Take it away and see how that affects your meaning, your purpose, your identity, your significance, all of those things. 
If that gets taken away, does that change who you are? Does that change what you do? Does that change your purpose in life, etc.? You see, in Christ, those things are secure. Those things are significant. Your identity is secure. You're not known by what you do for a living. You're known by what Jesus did for you. Your significance, your value is in that he gave your life for you. He now says that you are a child of God, forgiven, not forsaken. You are now in the family of God, never to be cast out. That's a totally different identity. You see, if your identity is in the workplace or in business, then you are defined by success. Take that away. Who accepts you? Do you still have a job? If you're not increasing the company's bottom line, you might be cast out. You see, so much of the world is based on what we do. Our identity in Christ is based on what he's done. It gives us a totally different value system. And that's what was being expressed through these believers who were following the way at that time. They were saying, those idols don't mean anything. We don't need to give money to that. We don't need to give money to the temple of Artemis. This, this, that doesn't mean anything. Let's start giving our money to the poor and needy. Let's start giving our money to those that can take care of those things, those folks in the church, those benevolence needs. And their money goes from there back to here because they begin to value things differently and it disrupts the economy in Ephesus. And that's what is going on. And so Demetrius comes in and he tries to swing them back and tries to to pressure them back into valuing the temple of Artemis and and Artemis uh, herself. And so the way of the world is to use worldly tactics to maintain worldly systems. And that's what you're going to see Demetrius do. He's going to use worldly tactics to try to maintain this worldly system. And the way that he's going to do it is he's going to try to gather some folks together and he's going to basically uh, give this impassioned speech. And what he's going to tap into or try to tap into is he's going to try to tap into their sense of, of normalcy. Like, hey, guys, this is the way it's always been done. He's also going to try to tap into their patriotism. You know, hey. This is, this is what we're known for. This, this is, we are the Ephesians. This is what the world knows us as. This is our identity. And then he's gonna play on their sense of security. This is dangerous for us if we start letting them go down this path. And so we get to, he gets these folks together and you can see what happens here in verses uh, 29 and then 34. This is on your sermon notes. It says, so the city was filled with confusion as he gives this impassioned speech. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocrus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. I probably didn't pronounce their names correctly. For about two hours, though, after he gathers everybody in the theater, they all cried with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Demetrius gives this speech to try to say, guys, this is what we're about. We can't let the people of the way affect the way of Ephesus. Can't let them affect the economy. So he gathers all the people in the theater. And the theater was one of the places I was talking about that you can go today. You could, you could see that today. Uh, this theater, many people think, would hold 25,000 people. 
25,000 people in this theater. So he gathers all of these people in the theater and they begin to chant, great is Artemis of Ephesus. This, the, we are going to drown out the way. The, Paul's message has persuaded people away from them away from our goddess. But if we just chant loud enough and long enough, then we'll turn the tide. They were trying to put the pressure on the people of the way, of those who were following Christ. And you see these worldly tactics. I just put down a few. First is fear. There's panic and commotion and uncertainty. Ironically, it says that uh, the city was filled with confusion. It says even some of those who gathered in the theater were confused. Like they didn't even know why they were running there, but uh, we hear a commotion, let's go. And let's join, let's join the crowd. That, that's what is going on here. So they use fear. And then a mob mentality as they, they rush to there, they're trying to drown out the way. And if we just shout this long enough, then great, which is the third tactic, flood marketing. I mean, I'm just using worldly terms here, but flood marketing. If we just show people this enough, then it'll normalize in, in, uh, in Ephesus and our culture. And you see that where, where you're like, why, does this, why do I see this commercial all the time? Flood marketing. We'll just show it to you, show it to you, show it to you, show it to you. It'll normalize in your mind and in your heart. That's what is going on in this theater as uh, Demetrius tries to use these worldly tactics to maintain worldly systems. It's this grand gesture to try to turn people away from following Christ. What's ironic to me is that what caused this disruption by followers of the way or Christ followers was no grand gesture at all. It was really just everyday decisions. See, following God's way means you walk every day in a godly way. If you think about how did they turn, how, how did they cause this disruption? It, it wasn't that they did some grand, it was just they decided, hey, tomorrow we're not going, we're following Christ today. We're not going to the temple of Artemis. We're not gonna pay for that. Not today, not tomorrow, not the next day. It was just individuals making these decisions Together, and that collectively, those individual decisions ended up causing uh, disruption. So, I want to give you some ways if you are in the workplace, when you take God into the workplace and you say you are going to follow Christ, what are some of those ways? And I'll draw from this passage that you can honor God as you follow Him as the way in the workplace. So, these are all on your sermon notes, but the first one is this First, be above reproach, keeping a clean conscience before God. This is how you follow God every day in the workplace. Be above reproach, keeping a clean conscience before God. Um, I realize that this phrase, be above reproach, might be a very Christianese phrase. Let me explain it. What it means is uh, to not open yourself up to criticism or accusation. It's, it's, it's trying, trying to live rightly, be, be above reproach, keeping a clean conscience before God. God. Uh, when we think about uh, being above reproach, another way to think about it is it's, it's not crossing the line. And it's not even not crossing the line. You know what that means metaphorically. It's not only not crossing the line, it's staying as far away from the line as possible. That's what it means to be above reproach. Um, I've had that conversation many times 
especially in my earlier years of ministry, uh, when I did stuff with, with students, young adults, et cetera, uh, when we would talk about what is the line of physical affection and dating? You know, that seems to be a very hot topic uh, with young people all the time. And uh, they would tell you know, what's, what's the line? How far can I go before I cross the line? And really, that's the wrong question. The wrong question You don't ask how close to the line I can get. The question is, how do I stay as far away from the line as possible? That's what it means to be above reproach. And by the way, just not knowing the line or choosing to not know where the line is, that's not culpable deniability. You, you need to understand where those boundaries are, where those lines are. And the same is true in business. You can't just turn a blind eye. Ignorance is not bliss. God knows your heart. That's why I've got here that you've got to have a clean conscience before God because he, he knows what the line is and he knows if you're choosing to not know where that line is. So be above reproach. Stay as far away from the line as possible so nobody goes, were you flirting with that line? Were you, were you close? To, did you cross it? No, I didn't cross it. Well, you were awfully close Yeah, that's why you just stay way, 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 way far away from that line. So be above reproach, keeping a clean conscience before God. Second, don't use worldly strategies that contradict biblical values. Don't use worldly strategies that contradict biblical values. Something that's interesting to me here, and and this is why I talked about individuals who are following Christ every day is when this big mob starts that is trying to pressure Christ followers from stopping following Jesus and coming back into to their way of life, the Christians don't form a mob themselves. <laughs> um, they don't fight fire with fire. They don't try to come back and go, great, if you use that strategy, we'll use that strategy. They just go, look, we're just gonna keep walking with God individually. That, that's what we're going to do. And I think we've got to remember that because we can very easily be tempted to fight fire with fire. And if you're in, for instance, if you're in the workplace and you begin to, if somebody begins to build a coalition against you, that, that's not right. What do you want to do internally? Your, your fleshly side, we go, well, I want to start getting people on my side and I want to start talking bad about them. Don't use worldly strategies. Don't, don't try to fight them because using gossip, using uh, backstabbing, uh, using those worldly tactics, those underhanded ways, God does not honor. God, you, you might feel like that will win the battle, but that doesn't win the war. You can't use those worldly strategies that contradict biblical values. God is not going to honor that. And the Christians in this, uh, in Ephesus, you don't see them matching um, their strategies, uh, Demetrius' strategies, with uh, those worldly strategies to fight them head to head. They just say, we're just going to keep following Christ. Because this, honestly, I'm beating beating myself to the punch here. Um, This really isn't their fight. You do understand that, right? This is God's fight. This is about Jesus' name. This is about Jesus' way. And they're, they're going to just continue to walk with him and let him fight the good fight for them. And, and also, let me say this. When we talk about using worldly strategies, I want to also say this. The ends do, uh, do not justify the means. The ends do not justify the means. 
You say, well, I'm just going to do that now because once I get past this, I'm going to honor Jesus. The end does not justify the means. You can't act one way and say you're going to honor Jesus later. You've already burned that bridge, especially as we talk about revealing the unknown God. That looks very hypocritical if you go about it worldly strategy and then at the end you go, but Jesus won. Praise God. You know, like that doesn't, doesn't fit. Doesn't fit with the people around you. Doesn't fit with your testimony for Jesus. Okay, third, uh, listen to wise counsel so you can broaden your perspective. Listen to wise counsel so you can broaden your perspective. Um, Paul, the apostle, listens to wise counsel. Um, Paul is here at the riot at Ephesus, and this, the crowd is going berserk for two hours. They're chanting, great is Artemis of Ephesus. And Paul wants to go in and, and basically speak to the crowd. And, and if you think that there's anybody that should go in and talk to this crowd, who is it? The answer is Paul, not Jesus on this one, okay? Okay, the answer is Paul, all right? <laughs> Paul, you would think Paul's going to go in. He's going to be the one that, I mean, he is just going to give it to him. He's going to drop truth bombs all over the place, and they're not going to know what to do, and 25,000 people are going to get saved. But his friends tell him, don't. Verse 30, when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And guess what? Paul doesn't go. I just think that's really interesting that Paul decides to listen to his friends, to other disciples. They go, Paul, we don't think it's wise for you to go. I know you of all people, you would be the one that we would probably push forward to go up there and speak, but we don't think this is the time. Don't go up there. And Paul is humble enough to listen to his friends, listen to his friends' perspective, and actually stay out of that riot. And honestly, I think that's very wise. Paul may have gotten killed at that time if he would have gone in. We, We don't know. My point is just he listened to somebody else's perspective. He didn't just say, it's my way or the highway, and I know what's right, and I'm going to go in and do this. But he had friends that would tell him some things that maybe even contradicted what he felt like uh, he should do, so it broadened his perspective. And businesswomen, businessmen, you should have friends inside of your vocation and outside of your vocation that you can listen to to broaden your perspective, especially if you are a business leader. Because oftentimes, leaders, you, you are surrounded by people that are used to doing whatever you say. And you set, you set the pace. You set the, here's the, the goal. Here's how we're going to go about this. And they help you to execute those visions, etc. But if you don't have somebody that goes, I don't know if that's the best way we should go about this, um, then you could be treading into some dangerous territory. So have people inside your workplace, outside your workplace, inside your vocation, outside your vocation, so that they can be wise. And when I say wise counsel, I also mean biblical counsel. Like so they, know, they, they walk with Jesus. They've been there. They've done that. They know what those implications are, who can broaden your perspective so that you know better how to walk with Christ in the workplace. And then finally, in that gray box, the last thing is pray without ceasing so you can discern how to respond. Pray without ceasing so you can discern how to respond. 
This is just constantly pray, pray, asking God, talking with him. He is with you in your workplace all the time. Pray, ask him, what should I do? What should I say? Should I step into that? Should I not step into that? Um, should we do this? Should we not do that? Pray, ask him, and then be at peace as you walk with him. I think I mean, it's amazing not only that Paul is humble enough to listen to his friends, but he seems to be at peace with that decision to not go into the theater. He seems to be okay with it. He doesn't go. How can he be at peace with that? I think because he's walking in the spirit. He's walking with the Holy Spirit and he's discerning what God wants. You see, every fight is not your fight. Every fight is not your fight. And this is not Paul's fight. This is not one. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Those sound like two contradictory things. Do they not? Yes or no? Okay, good. All right, you're with me. Okay, two contradictory things. How can we be both things at the same time? I don't know. But let me tell you, the serpent slithers away. The dove is sacrificed. How do I know if I'm supposed to slither away and get out of the way? Or how do I know if this is the one that, hey, I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb on this one? How do, how do you know? You've got to be praying. You've got to be walking in the spirit. You've got to be going, God, is this my fight? No, ultimately, this is his fight. This is for him to take care of. And Paul steps out of the way and God shows up. You see, God's way will always make a way for his way to prevail. God's way will always make a way for his way to prevail. And Paul steps out of the way and it's, it's crazy who steps up because it's this clerk who comes up in Ephesus, this city clerk who comes up and he basically quiets the crowd and he says, listen guys, you, you have to stop this uh, first because they've really done nothing wrong because there's nothing illegal about not buying idols to Artemis. There's nothing illegal there. So they've really done nothing wrong. Second, there are legal ways to go about. If you want to really bring a charge against them, then you need to follow these ways. And third, if you keep this up, Rome is going to find out and they're going to come put the heavy on us. And we don't want that. Oftentimes violent action to subdue a riot. And so we, we don't want that. So this random clerk comes up, not Paul, not the hero, not the one we would expect, but God helps someone step up in a way that helps the church so that his will prevails. And we, see, we saw the same thing back in Acts chapter 5 with Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel steps up and makes a way for God's way to continue to prevail. And it's similar here. You see in verses 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 41, it says, And when he had said these things, this clerk, he dismissed the assembly. And after the upward cease, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. Paul was free to go and continue to do what the third missionary journey was supposed to do, which was encourage the churches. If he stepped in and said, wait, this is my way. I'm the apostle Paul. I have a voice. I need to speak up. I've got to drop these truth bombs. Who knows what would have happened? But God still makes a way. As he honored God and, and went about his business in a Christ-like way, discerning what God wanted him to do, God made a way for his way to prevail. You see, following God's ways, trust that his way 
will always lead to his best. Not my way. His ways will always lead to his best. God's ways will always lead to God's best. You see, if anybody was reading this account in a a secular way, let's think about it. If anybody was reading this, the Christians took an L. Doesn't this look like a big loss? But in the end, it's not a big loss. We, We know that God's will prevailed through Paul being on the missionary journey, and I think God's way actually prevailed in Demetrius's life. We see the name Demetrius uh, show back up in the Third John. In Third John, there's a couple people mentioned in Third John. One is Gaius. Do you remember we read about Gaius earlier in this in this account? And the other one is Demetrius. And it says in Third John. It says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Look at this. Whose name is that? Demetrius. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. I wonder if this is the same Demetrius. And the reason why John is vouching for him here is because he gained a bad reputation for leading that crowd against the way back in Ephesus. And then he comes to know Christ and he's going, hey, Demetrius has a good testimony. (laughs) I know you know him as the one who used to be against us, but now he's for us. He has a good testimony. Accept him. It's true. I wonder if Demetrius is the one who came to know Christ. And what if he came to know Christ because of the way that Christ's followers followed Christ in the workplace? You see, you might be in the workplace and you might feel like you're taking an L right now. Like you're losing. It feels like everybody's against you. Peer pressure, fear, flood marketing, all the things. People are backstabbing. People are starting a coalition against you. Guys, continue to follow Christ in the workplace. Continue to follow him and follow him in a Christ-like, Christ-honoring way because I guarantee you that will be a testimony to those around you and maybe a Demetrius will see how you're following Christ and come to know the unknown God that you follow. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for um, this account. And I thank you for how powerful you are, how omnipotent and sovereign you are, Lord. Thank you for reminding us that ultimately the things that we want to see, Lord God, belong in your hands. It, it's, it's your battle. It's not our fight. Lord, we just, all you ask us to do is follow you in a Christ-like way. And so God, continue to show us how to do that in our workplaces, Lord God. Shine brightly in and through us as we honor you. Lord, I know there are businesswomen, businessmen out there who are doing that every day. Would you encourage them today, Lord God? Would you empower them, equip them, Lord? Help them find community uh, that can encourage them to broaden their perspectives so that they cannot grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, they will reap a harvest if they do not give up. Lord God, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you, you are trustworthy. We trust you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.